Hey teachers, because of this whole coronavirus, we can't celebrate you and appreciate all of the hard work you've done this school year in our church on a Sabbath. So Pastor Matt, Pastor Alex, and myself thought it would be a great idea to come to you and bring some goodies. And so we're gonna come, we're gonna stop by, but when you think we're taking a selfie, we're actually taking a video. family we are so glad and so happy that you have decided to join us today for worship and we thank you for your continual financial support and if you would like to continue supporting our church you can do so in three ways you can go to our website marietaadventist.org um, you can also download the app Adventist Giving or you can just mail in a check to our church um, we hope and we pray that today's worship is of blessing for each one of you. And we pray that today's sermon by Pastor Matt truly speak to all of our hearts.
Good morning, happy Sabbath, and welcome to our worship service. If this is your first time joining the Marietta Seventh-day Adventist Church, I'm glad that you found us. You might be watching on Vimeo, and I'm glad you found that as well. All of our videos are there, and you can worship in many ways through those videos. I hope that most of you have joined us through the Facebook premiere that's happening right now. Uh, many of you will be able to interact and comment in the comment boxes and, and, and worship together in some way. In fact, all throughout this message, there are intentional times and opportunities for you to answer questions in the comment box or to listen and process together through some of the music that is shared. And I know that you'll be blessed today through our worship service. Today, we're going to be spending our time talking about God. I don't mean just God on the throne. I don't mean just the difference between good and evil and how God is good. I'm talking about the character of God. At this point in history, the character of God is attacked by every way possible. Society and culture demean him and, and cut him off at the knees. Uh, they make him look bad. In fact, uh, many of you probably have a tainted or distorted view of who God is and the character of who He really is. And that happens uh, through experiences that you may have had. That happens through other people's experiences as they place blame in the wrong place and blame God. It also happens by tradition as stories are passed down from grandparents to parents to kids to the next generation and the next generation, and God's character is distorted. In fact, we use our human baggage as a perspective and lens through which we view God, which is funny because it's a human perspective, and yet we use it to, to view God through. Just the other day, on Wednesday morning, as Caffrey and Canaan, my two sons, and I pulled into the church parking lot right here at the church, I noticed that we weren't the first people here. We drove in and we parked and I saw a car and a young man sitting at a picnic table over by the playground. And as we got Caffrey and Canaan's scooters out so that they could have some fun while I worked, I decided to go over and talk to this young man to see who he was before I let my kids just run around in the playground. And as I got closer, I realized who it was. And it was Jalen. He's one of our collegiates that goes to KSU. He's a, a stellar young man that we're so glad that he's a part of our church. And as I came over to him, I said, hey, what's up, man? What are you doing here? And he said, um, I'm having my devotions. And sure enough, his Bible was laid out on the picnic table. He had a, a journal and a pen where he'd been writing. There were other books, and he had a, a, a speaker for some music. Now, he was spending time with Jesus. And I said, dude, that is so cool. Uh, why are you here? And he said, well, honestly, it's because of my roommates. You see, my roommates are all atheists. And so when it comes to God, all they do is make fun of and try to tear down my core value of a connection with a God that loves me. And so I come here, he said, to worship him. Sometimes I'm, I'm here all by myself on Sabbath mornings during this Corona time. Other times he comes in the morning or different times. And I said, dude, that is wonderful that you're here. And I'm so proud of you. But my heart, although it was proud for Jalen or proud about him, it hurt for his roommates. Whatever has happened to them, whether it's baggage or tradition or experiences and misplaced blame, they struggle with believing in a God, let alone knowing who he really is. And this morning, whether you have a, a beautiful picture of God or you have a, a tainted, distorted picture of him, I hope that you are challenged to the words of David to really see him for who he is, a God that is in relentless pursuit of you because he loves you. 
And over these next few moments, I, I pray that your baggage or the, the crustiness that you might have on your perspective of God, may it fall away so that you may see his true character and who he really is. And as we launch into this message, I ask that you'll bow your head and just pray with me now. God in heaven, as we speak of you today, may we see a clear picture of who you are. May we know you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. When I think of the word pursuit, several different scenes come to mind. The first is in the African savanna, and I see a cheetah, and he's crouched low in the tall grass, and he sees his prey, and he slowly begins to walk forward, and his walk turns into a, a lope, which turns into a gallop, which turns into an all-out sprint as he chases a bounding antelope through the tall grass. He's drooling, and he's growling as he's running as, at full speed towards this antelope, his prey. He is in hot pursuit of his lunch. He will do anything to get to that antelope. He is in pursuit of that antelope. Or another scene that comes to mind is a, a car chase on the freeway. Some convict somewhere is in a car and he's racing down the freeway. He's dodging cars and semi-trucks. And there's a, there's a helicopter that's flying by and there's a, a, a non-stop live action camera view that everyone can see as they watch on TV. And this car is weaving in and out. And just behind him are the police cars, the officers. They're chasing him in hot pursuit. And they're ready to make that pit maneuver where his car will slide and so they can, they can get to him. They're on the radio with other officers up ahead. They say, get the spike strips. Let's flatten the tires on this guy. Let's get him. They're in hot pursuit because they want to capture him and take him hostage. Another scene that comes to mind when I think of the word pursuit is a prison break picture. It's a scene where the convicts have just scaled the wall and they're, they're running through the woods. The, the officers are after them. The dogs are chasing them. The FBI is trying to capture them and they'll do anything and everything to get away from their pursuers. They'll steal. They'll kill. They'll, they'll grab cars or kids or whatever it takes to, to get free and get away from their pursuers as the FBI is on hot pursuit. For the next 30 seconds, I want to invite you to interact with each other. Maybe it's those that are watching this right now with you. And maybe it's those that are on Facebook and you want to comment. But here's the question that you can have 30 seconds to answer. The question is, what scene comes to mind when you think of the word pursuit? I'm sure all of us have different scenes that come to mind when we think of the word pursuit. And I bet that most of them sound a whole lot like the ones that I was sharing. But the problem with those scenes is they paint a picture of a pursuer that is out to get you. It makes it sound like an angry pursuer that will do whatever it takes to hunt you down and lock you down or eat you up. And the problem with this is that those, those scenes paint a picture of a God that is angry, a God that is out to get you, that is watching you. 
That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible describes him in so many different ways. Descriptors that make him a beautiful God that loves, not one that's angry and hunting you down. All throughout the Bible, there's descriptors of the God of relentless pursuit. Uh, in, in Isaiah, he is called the everlasting Father. A father that is there to comfort and guide you, to be with you, that cares about you. In John chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. A shepherd that guides your every step, that makes sure that you have water to drink, that you have food to, to eat, that keeps you safe from the, the others that will go out and find you afterwards. In John chapter 14, he's the advocate, the one that is always on your side, that is always there for you, that stands in place of you. In Deuteronomy 7, he's called the faithful one, one that you can count on, that will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always there for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, he's the rock, a firm foundation that you can always stand on, that doesn't shimmy and shake when the storms of life come, a rock, a foundation for you. In John chapter 6, he's the bread of life, food, sustenance that gives your life gives your being life. In Mark chapter 2, he's the bridegroom, a groom that pursues his wife, the church, that vows himself to her forever and ever. He's everything but someone that is angry or someone that is distant or someone that doesn't care or someone that doesn't exist. And for the next 30 seconds, I'd like to invite you to interact with each other. Maybe that's those that you're watching this with. Maybe it's on Facebook and you want to type it in the comment box. There's lots of different descriptors of God, whether they're in the Bible or just words that come to mind. But I'll give you 30 seconds to answer this question. Which is your favorite way that the Bible describes God? There are so many different descriptions of God throughout the Bible, but there's one that is consistent throughout Scripture. It's God as a pursuer. He's a seeker. He's intentional about his relationship with you and I. He's proactive in that relationship as he moves forward. He's the one that leaves the 99 sheep safe in the fold, and he goes across rocks and through brambles to find that one lost sheep as he pursues them. He's the one that goes to the end of the long driveway out to the road, out to the edge of his property, and he peers down the road as far as he can see as he looks and searches and seeks for the prodigal son. He's the one that turns the house upside down. He looks in the couch cushions and under the rug as he searches and pursues and looks for the lost coin. He's the merchant that goes in search of that beautiful pearl. He's looking for the most valuable pearl on the planet and he pursues it with everything he has. And when he finds it, he gives up everything. He, he sells all of his belongings so that he can purchase that one valuable pearl. 
He's the one that leaves heaven and comes to earth in pursuit of the ones that he loves the most. This is huge, that God is a pursuer God. It's massive. And if you have a tainted, distorted picture of God, then maybe this helps because so often I think people view God as a God that just simply sits on his throne. He's just there, a lazy God, and he waits for us to come to him. Yeah, the door's open, but it's on us to get there. And while we do have responsibility in this human-God relationship where we have to accept the offer to be in relationship with him, God's not lazy. He doesn't just sit there. If, if it was all up to me, then there's no part of God in this. If it was all up to me, then God doesn't do anything. Yet God is a pursuer God. He's a seeker God that comes after you. And David, King David, he writes in Psalm 139 a description of an all-present, always-present pursuer God. I love the book of Psalms. It's uh, rich with emotion and passion as David writes as a human, as he talks to God. And it's easy for us to connect with him as he communicates with a God of the universe. We've been using Psalms as our framework for the daily devotionals. And if, you, if you're not getting those, I encourage you to go to our website, MarietaAdventist.org. Scroll down to the bottom and you can sign up for our newsletter or our mailing list. And you'll get those daily devotionals as well as any other happenings in our church. And I love going through the book of Psalms with the raw emotion. And as David describes God in Psalm 139, he describes him as an all-present, all-caring God. Here's what he says, Psalm chapter 139, verse 1, he says, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David describes God as this always present God. I think he describes him as, a, as an all-caring God. He knows where he's going. He knows where he sleeps. He knows the words that he says. He's always present, always caring, always there to protect. Now, if your view of God is battered and bruised and distorted, then I don't know if David's words are any comfort for you. Because David describes God as a God that's watching, that knows the words, that he's, he's looking and seeing things. And, and if your view of God is distorted, then this description sounds more like a guard God that sits in his tower and waits for you to make a mistake. It's like he's watching for you to make trouble. But that's not the God that David describes. David describes him, I think, like this. Every night when I go to bed, Jennifer and I, we head upstairs and we check on our kids. You probably do that too if you have children. And we creep over to the door and we quietly turn the knob and we go inside their bed bedroom. And as we slip over to their beds, we just stand there and look at our kids. In fact, here's a, a couple recent pictures of our kids sleeping and sometimes 
we just stand there and watch. Sometimes we just look at them and we watch them breathe, watch their chests go up and down with every inhale and exhale. Sometimes I reach down and I, I put my hand on them to see if they're warm or if they're cold. And if they're cold, I put another blanket on them. Or if they're hot, I turn the fan on. And we, we watch them. We tuck their covers in. We'll snuggle up their pets or their stuffed animals or their toys next to them. And we watch them. And so often, tears come to my eyes as I think, this is unbelievable. They're my kids. I think that's the description of a pursuer God that is all-knowing, that watches you and me like a father watches his kids sleep. It's a picture of a God that is not waiting for us to mess up, but a God that is watching you and his heart overflows with love for you. As you listen and sing along with this next song, How Deep the Father's Love. May you sense His loving care for you as He pursues you, as He watches you and says, I love you. given air. 
The psalmist continues in verse 7, where he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light for you. David describes God as someone that is continually pursuing you, that you can't really get away from. You can go far, you can stay near, you can go high, you can go low, you can be anywhere, and yet He still pursues you no matter what. You can be in the darkness, you can stand in the light, yet He still pursues you. Wherever you are, wherever you go, He is constantly in pursuit of you. It's almost like you can't get away from Him because He never stops pursuing you. In fact, the most popular psalm in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 23, David writes these words. He says, God's beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. The bridegroom of the church, God, continually pursues the bride with everything he's got, even his own son. He would do whatever it takes to get the girl. He'd chase. He'd fight if he had to. He'd climb a mountain if he had to. He would light up the darkness. He would do whatever it takes to show you how much he loves you. In fact, God's pursuit of you is quite reckless. His reckless love for you would do whatever it takes in pursuit of you. Serve 
was your foe, still your love fought for me. I was 18 years old, I met the most beautiful girl in the world, Jennifer Stout. I don't actually remember the first time that I saw her, although I'm sure it was at the Student Association Handshake where all the students and faculty line up at Georgia Cumberland Academy and we shake hands and introduce ourselves. Jennifer actually had seen me first at a basketball game a year earlier. In fact, the credit goes to her stepdad, John Schleier, aka Big John. GCA had been playing Christian Heritage, a local Christian school in Dalton, Georgia, and during the basketball game, the guys game, Jennifer sat next to her stepdad, Big John, and he was scouting out the players on the GCA team, thinking about which one she should pursue, and he picked me. Well, the very next year, Jennifer came to GCA, and it didn't take me long to realize I needed to pursue her. There was a banquet coming up pretty soon. It was the Christmas banquet. And so I began thinking of creative ways to ask her to go to the banquet with me. 
and on a bus ride home from another basketball game, this time the two of us on GCA's team, she on the girls team, me on the guys team, we were driving back in this bus and I got the guys to surround her chair and surround her. They sang back up as I sang, you are so beautiful. And after the song, I said, Jennifer Stout, you are so beautiful. You are so sweet. Grant my wish with a kiss on the cheek. Will you go to the Christmas banquet with me? Oh, she was embarrassed. All the guys around her, some guy that's kind of hitting on her in front of everybody, her face was red. And so she quietly said, yes. And I said, oh, no, no. I don't think you heard me correctly. I said, grant my wish with a kiss on the cheek. And so she reached up even more embarrassed and gave me the sweetest little kiss on my cheek. It was all part of the pursuit. See, I had to let her know the lengths that I would go to get her affection. Not too long after that, there was another banquet coming up. It was the junior-senior banquet where only the juniors and seniors could go. Luckily, my parents lived in Calhoun, not too far from GCA, and so I began planning. In fact, I asked my dad if he would let the grass in the yard grow for two or three weeks until it was nice and high. And I went over to my parents' house and I took a weed eater and a lawnmower and I cut letters into the grass so that you could read them. But the problem was you couldn't read them. It was all green. And so I went to plan B. I went out to the, the wood pile, the pile, the firewood pile, and I took logs and I spelled out the words in the grass. And then I had Jennifer come over to my parents' house and she got there and, and we walked out on the back porch and I had her close her eyes and I had a ladder set up uh, against the, the roof. And she and I climbed up to the roof and we found a safe spot to sit. And then I said, all right, you may open your eyes. And she opened her eyes and she looked down and there on the ground, it said, junior, senior, question mark. And she looked at me and she laughed and she said, yes. Now my mom realized that this was a quality girl and that I was pursuing her. And so my mom greeted us as we got down off the ladder with brownies and milk on the back porch. So romantic. It didn't stop there. It continued with handwritten notes back and forth between the guys' dorm and the girls' dorm for Pony Express on Sunday evenings. It continued with late-night phone calls and phone calls during the day to the front desk where Jennifer conveniently worked. It continued as I met her on the front porch of the girls' dorm with a guitar in my hand with an original song written just for her that I sang to her. From there, it continued on to, to dates and uh, even long-distance dating where I was at Southern calling her after she got done with her resident assistant job at midnight. We talked and talked, and the pursuit never ended. I would do anything and everything for her, and I still would, because this pursuit of Jennifer, the most beautiful girl in the world, never ends. She has to know what I would do for her and for her affection. And I believe that's what the God of the universe, what His relentless pursuit looks like for you. He would do anything and everything to show you how much He loves you, even giving up His own Son. He would do whatever it takes as He pursues you and as He asks you to respond to His pursuit. Long before you knew Him, He knew you. 
Before you were an idea in your parents' mind, He was thinking about you and pursuing you. Before you knew what love was, He loved you, and He's never stopped loving you. In fact, He continually pursues you so that you can know who He really is, a God of love. Today, whether you have a lifelong committed relationship with Him, or it's just a baby relationship with Him, whether you feel close to Him or far from Him, whether you have a picture of who He really is or you have a jaded, distorted picture of who He is, may you know the God that has relentless pursuit for the ones that He loves the most, that you may know the God that would do anything and everything to be with you. May you know Him for who He really is. Love. I'm praying for you, church family. Have a happy Sabbath.